Good morning, everybody. I am so glad to be back with you all. It's, it's been a while since I feel like I've been up here, and we've had a, a busy month or so. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Joey Weber, and I'm one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. In the past week, uh, my wife and I led a team of people from this church and from the community to Haiti. And it was a truly incredible experience. And, and when you come home, everyone asks things. They're like, how was your trip? And, and I'll be the first to admit I'm very raw. <laughs> and I came home from my trip and immediately did 23 hours of class in the past two days. And now I'm here preaching. And then we do VBS all week. And so I don't have great answers. And so I plan on not even talking much about it. But if you've read, if you're friends with my wife, you've read some of her She's very eloquent, more so than I. Um, and so you've read some of those, but then she pointed me to a young man who posted something on Facebook. And I just wanted to read his, and some of you will have seen this as well, too, but I just thought it just perfectly explained um, Haiti in a nutshell. He says, I have had the incredible opportunity to return to this beautifully broken country again this past week. I got to see the fruit of Upstream's labor and reconnect with their leaders. I got the chance to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the very places he would be if he were still on earth, holding lonely babies, playing with children, and easing the pain of those on their deathbed. I experienced a slew of emotions, but I never once was able to escape the joy and love of these people. It's contagious, and I can't get enough. They know what it really means to follow Jesus and do it relentlessly. I've been blessed beyond all measure to see our God at work in Upstream's partners. Since I was last there, Upstream School in City Soleil now has new classrooms built. Pastor Dimash's school has been completed and now full of kids who need sponsors. Najee has purchased land and began to build his home. Upstream has started constructing a clinic and so much more. God is moving in mighty ways and he's not about to stop. These aren't words to describe the love I have for this country. These people have a resilience and strength that seems as if should be unattainable. They've fought their way to freedom, overthrown their leaders, and been the punching bag of Mother Nature. But still, watching them live, they see the hope, they see they see past their current situation into their eternal one. God hasn't forsaken Haiti. He's everywhere in Haiti. Jesus is on tap taps. Bible verses are written on buildings and walls, and the people love and trust in his word. They love and care for their neighbors and help when they can. They come together and get things done because they understand they can't alone. I was beyond blessed to see Proverbs 27 17 in action this week. I left Haiti sharper than I have ever been in my life, in my faith. And I pray I did the same for someone in my time there. For if there's anything I've learned this, this year in my two trips here, it's that as much as we think we know, we have a lot to learn from this little island in the Caribbean. Better than I could have said it. I honestly, like I, just, like I said, I didn't have much to say. There are six total individuals from this church and then four others from the community that went with us. If you have the opportunity to sit with them um, be patient, um, be kind, um, expect if you just want to hear a one-word answer, they may look dumbfounded at you for a little bit and give you some patsy answer of, yeah, it was nice. Um, 
But if you have the time to sit with them and hear how God influenced their life, do it. Because it's an incredible opportunity. Um, and I just want to thank you all for your prayers and support while we were there. Um, that was, it was felt. So thank you for that. So today, uh, moving on, we will be continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. And I personally have just loved walking through this book with all of you. Today we will find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 25. And so if you want to head on over there, that would be great. Um, We're coming to the close of 1 Corinthians. You know, it seems like we've been doing it for long time. And we have, but that's good. It's good to take these books of the Bible slowly through an entire semester or even longer sometimes to really dig into what these passages are talking about. Um, It has been encouraging and stretching and convicting many weeks for all of us. I know you've probably heard and I've said it myself that as pastors we have to preach to ourselves before we come to you all. And so as you have felt stretched and convicted, I promise you that Matt and I and the other men that have come in here and preached, we have felt the weight of that as well. We have felt convicted. We have felt encouraged. I wasn't here last Sunday, but I listened to Matt's sermon on 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and I walked away from that just feeling like a failure most weeks. And so I'm with you all. I'm right here beside you. Um, It has also been neat for me just to see the different topics, the sections of topics within 1 Corinthians. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been discussing spiritual gifts. Matt defines spiritual gifts as the supernatural way that God's spirit works through God's people to put a spotlight on God's son and build others up. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 all discuss the spiritual gifts. Verse 4 of chapter 12 says, Now there, f- now there are a varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now depending on what translation you are reading from there, it uses a, a variety of different words, gifts, ministries, activities, service, what he's saying is that when we become followers of Jesus and we join the family of God, we are given a gift. But that gift isn't just for us to have and, and sit on and use for ourselves, but it's actually a gift given in order to serve the body and to glorify God. Now, I, I know that sometimes may not sound like the best gift, right? It's like, here, here's a present. Oh, thanks. Okay, now go use it for somebody else. It's like, oh... I, I don't know if I want to use my gift for somebody else. It's, and I thought about it, and I said, it's kind of like when you're the oldest child in a family, right? And you have a handful, even one younger sibling. And when you turn 16, maybe, maybe you were blessed enough that your parents gave you a car. Maybe they gave you a newer one. Maybe they gave you dad's old hand-me-down. Or maybe you were lucky enough to get a 1984 Pontiac Sunbird. Those are pretty sweet cars. Um, but no matter what, you may have been blessed to get a car as a gift from your family. And even those of you who maybe had to buy it on your own, now you're 16 and you have this car and you can drive. But then you're informed 
that you now have to use this gift or even the thing you bought for yourself to go pick up and drop off and cart your younger siblings all over the place, right? You may have gotten the gift of the car, but now you're informed you have to use it to serve the family. And all of a sudden, it's like, this doesn't feel like a gift anymore. It's almost like a burden. Well, how do you think your parents have felt for the past 15 years? (laughs) Yeah. Unlike the car gift that now just feels like a burden, the gifts of God that we use are, are for the body, are meant to bring joy to everyone. When we use our gifts for the body of Christ, they should bring joy to others, but it should also bring joy to us as we're using these gifts. When we are serving others and they are growing closer to Jesus, it should fill us with a joy that can only come from God. Chapter 13, in the middle of all of these chapters on spiritual gifts is the chapter on love. Love is the centerpiece It is the the linchpin on spiritual gifts. I love the first three chapters and the first three verses in chapter 13. It basically says that no matter what you do, you can have all these incredible gifts. You can do all these incredible things for God, prophesy, preaching, and you can have all of the wisdom and incredible faith, but if it's not wrapped in love, it's worthless. We must be loving those that God places in our sphere of influence and pointing them to Jesus with the gifts he has given us. We need to be asking questions like, how can I love other people and serve them? A few weeks ago, Matt talked about the different gifts list. You know, this is not the only gift list in all of Scripture. We've got one in Romans and one in in 1 Peter. And so in 1 Peter 4, 8, right before the gifts list, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Then he goes into his lifts of spiritual gifts. Once again, we see this idea that love is the centerpiece of the spiritual gifts. And if we are loving earnestly, we are going to be able to use the gifts that God has given us to serve others. How easy is it for you to love other people? Maybe your children or your family or your your best friends, that might be easier. But how easy is it for you just to love everyone? If you're anything like me, (laughs) it's hard. It's hard. Some people just seem to pour out that sacrificial kind of love. But for the rest of us, for some of us, it's harder. I can be selfish and self-centered and self-focused, even within my family. If I don't have my own private time in the morning, I can be a real jerk. (laughs) So chapter 13 is saying that any ability that we have to love comes from God. It is the greatest gift that God can give us. The ability that I can do anything for anyone else is completely from God and and nothing from me. So we spent the past three weeks and this week and next week discussing the different gifts. And maybe some of you are like, yep, I get it. I understand what all the gifts are and I know what mine are perfectly. Or maybe some of you are still like, I don't totally understand what all these gifts are and how they work and I don't even quite understand what mine may be. 
um, instead of trying to figure out exactly what your specific gifts are and how to use it best, I think verse 1 of chapter 14 tells us how to start. First two words, pursue love. Pursue love. Above anything else, if you pursue love first, you will have the supernatural ability to use whatever gifts you have to serve others and to glorify God. And even if you try to use your gift and it's not quite what it is, if you're doing it in love, people are going to be gracious and welcoming to you. Remember that the purpose of the gifts is to shine a spotlight on Jesus. Remember that as we work through the rest of these passages. Follow along as I read. Chapter 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. We'll stop there, kind of break this passage up into a few different sections. Um, I made the joke a few weeks ago when I preached that I got out of tongues and prophecy the, the tongues and prophecy section by doing head coverings, maybe I should actually like look at the whole preaching schedule. Again, that kind of just goes with my self-focusedness, right? I just stay in one week to the next, just go from one thing to the next, and I get to here, and I'm like, oh, wait, I didn't get out of these. But it's good, and we'll, we'll get through it together. Um, we have said that love is primary and loving others is primary. Then Paul goes into this comparison about tongues and prophecy, And so he says, so tongues, only God can really understand these. Prophecy, others can understand. Tongues is building ourselves up while prophecy builds others up. It's like, what exactly does that mean? (laughs) I thought about it like this. Last week, I was in Haiti. And while I was there, I heard people speaking Creole. That's their native tongue. And if you have ever heard Creole, if you have never heard Creole, I encourage you to look it up. It is a very fun language. Haitian people can come across very angry or aggressive when they're speaking. It is a very passionate culture and language. But yet at the same time, they're speaking very fast and passionately, but they're doing it with like a straight face. So they're passionate and yelling, but they're not smiling or angry or anything. And you're just like, I don't know what to think when you're talking to me right now. And so everywhere we'd go, I'd hear people talking, and I have no idea what they were saying. And I know a couple of words here or there, but for the most part, I'm lost. And especially when it's a full conversation, not just, hi, how are you? I am good. When it's a whole conversation, I'm just completely lost. And for a guy who tends to talk too much... I don't love not being able to communicate. I desperately wanted to know what they were saying, but it wasn't necessarily for them. I wanted to know what they were saying for myself. Many of them were laughing and enjoying us being there. I wanted to know what they were saying. Do they like me? 
Do they not like me? Are they happy that we're here? Do they think that my beard is incredible? What are they saying about us? Wouldn't you just love to learn another language? Yeah, right? We can all understand what is going on here in the Corinthians. They, they desired this spirit this spiritual gift of tongues, of another language. They were elevating the gift of tongues to something that was more spiritual than the other gifts. Everyone was trying to manifest the tongues, and everyone was speaking in different languages and in tongues because they thought that was the super gift. In Acts 2, we see this type of tongues coming upon the disciples. And I'm not going to go there for time's sake, But you can look it up in your free time. But God wanted to get the gospel out as quickly as possible. So he supernaturally gave the the disciples the ability to speak in different languages instantly. All of them could just instantly speak in a different language. That way they could, all, everyone in Jerusalem could hear the gospel. That would be so awesome if you just instantly were able to speak another language, right? I'm sure there are many of us that would desire that but I don't know if it's all for the reason that we want to speak the gospel, right? I don't, I don't necessarily want to speak another language instantly just so I can go spread the gospel. I just really want to be able to speak other languages. Andrea can speak a fair amount of Spanish. I can make up a fair amount of Spanish. Because of it, our boys hear enough Spanish that they, they want to understand it. They know that when Andrea is speaking Spanish at the dinner table, it's probably because she's saying something about them or something that she doesn't want them to hear. Most of the time, I'm just sitting there staring blankly back at her like, I know I'm supposed to know this. You assume that because I took three years in high school and a year in college, I know what you're saying. Don't. I have no idea. (laughs) Our boys desire to know Spanish, but it's just for them. It's not so Deacon can go to a a Spanish-speaking country and spread the gospel. He just wants to know what we're saying about him. (laughs) That's what is going on here in Corinthians. It looked cool, and it looked alluring, so it became this gift that everyone wanted to manifest. In Acts 2, when the disciples were speaking in tongues, the people hearing it were astonished. The Corinthians wanted to look astonishing to the people around them. They didn't necessarily want to preach the gospel to other cultures. They just wanted to look spiritual. What Paul is saying is that we need to go into this whole thing of spiritual gifts, wanting to help others. That is what should be our driving force, to help others know Jesus, to love others. And the gift of tongues might not be the gift that helps us to do that. The end of verse 5 points us to the idea again that what all these gifts are for. Right? Verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. I'm going to move on to the next section, but as we move into the next section, keep that in your mind, and actually keep it in mind for the rest of this passage here, so that the church may be built up. What is the purpose of the gifts? Well, it's to edify, to build up the body. Verses 6 through 12. 
says, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Paul is talking about being understandable in this section. When we, were, when we went to church in Haiti, it was very different than what we experience here. We got there at 8 a.m. and got done. By the time we got out and got loaded up in the car after talking to everyone, it's about 11, right? So just, just short of three hours for church. But that's that we got there later than all of the Haitians. We walked in and church was already going on. Most of them get there three hours earlier for prayer and worship before church. The elders and pastors fast and pray all night long before the service, every week. That's incredible to me. When we walked in, there was a woman singing. And then she started praying. And it was in Haitian, in Creole. I will tell you that I have no idea what she was saying. No idea. Every once in a while, I would hear Jesus. That's about it. I do know that it was one of the most passionate prayers I have ever heard. Now, for all I know, she could have been yelling at the church for gross sin, you know, yelling at them for not fulfilling the Great Commission. I don't know. But to me, it was passionate, and it encouraged me, and that's all I know. Paul is arguing for understanding in this section. He is saying that when we meet together as a church, we need to understand what is going on. Now, when we willingly go on mission trips or go to other countries, it is expected that some or maybe even most of us will not understand what is being said. I don't walk into the Haitian church expecting that they're going to speak English so that I can understand them. But when we gather here, as a family of believers here at Stonebridge Church, we all should be able to hear and know and understand. I love the analogy of instruments in verses 7 and 8. How many of you have been near someone who is just learning a new instrument? Right? That's a fun time period in life, isn't it? I remember when Deacon first started to learn the piano. There was definitely sound coming out of the piano, but I can't say that it made sense, you know, and that's that we were blessed with at least having the piano that when he's just hitting it, it's at least still notes. For those of you who have teenagers or children who are learning strings or horns, that can be a rough go those first couple of months, right? It's just these noises coming out of them. I will never forget when, we pl- when, when Deacon first played Mary Had a Little Lamb. Like it was the first song he played through. 
And Andrea and I were both sitting on the couch, and we just looked at each other in awe. Like, did I just, did you just, did we just, yeah, we were shocked, you know, because we could understand something finally. It wasn't just banging on notes or doing scales. It was an actual song. Music is a perfect analogy for this topic. We can all relate to the idea of not being able to distinguish what is when it is not done correctly, right? Scott, when he was here a couple weeks ago, used me singing. You all know that when I'm singing, it is not good, right? Something is not being done correctly. Most of you have heard it by this time, and you're like, yeah, that's not right. I don't know what he's doing, but it's not right. The same is true for tongues or any of the spiritual gifts, If we are not using the gifts properly or in love, it will not build up the church and it will not be understandable. If I get up here and start speaking in another language, that that doesn't build you all up. If I show up at your house tomorrow and just in in the middle of the night and just clean your car and leave, you have no idea who did it, no idea why. You're like, what was the purpose of this? Think about the, the snacks that we're donating to the school. If we just gave snacks to school and didn't say anything with it, it'd be like, what is the purpose of this? Why are they just giving? If we didn't even say where it was from, we just dropped off snacks. They were like, this is odd. Where did they come from? Are they poisoned? Let's throw them away. That's why we put the, the we, I put a, print a little thing and put it on it saying that, you know, we're, we're praying for you and we heart boon. That's why our teachers, we've talked to them and said, hey, when they start asking why Stonebridge Church would do this, Tell them that we love them. Tell them that we just want to come alongside them. We're trying to serve the community in love. If we are not using the gifts properly, it will not build up the church. But how does a a believing community use these gifts? Follow along as I read again, starting at verse 13. It says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul is saying, I, I want to, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I, because I don't want you all to be able to do what I'm doing because you don't quite have a true understanding of what's going on, right? Six weeks ago, Matt preached on the beginning of chapter 12, and he did an incredible job of defining, explaining the gifts. So since he did all the hard work for me, I'm just going to ride on his coattails, right? So he defined tongues as the God-given ability to speak or pray in a language unknown to the person with the gift. And then he even broke it down for me into three different subsections. And so that's how we have defined tongues here. 
Here in 1 Corinthians, we see a distinction between the tongues in Acts 2. So I've been talking about languages and Haitian and all of that. That's what was going on in Acts 2. It was clearly other languages. It says Egyptian, Elamite, Parthian. But here in 1 Corinthians 14, there's something else going on. It's something that's not immediately understandable. That's most likely this third type of tongues, which is going on in 1 Corinthians 14 here. So, if the gifts are meant for use to glorify God and to shine a light on Jesus, how are we supposed to use the gifts of tongues and prophecy to glorify God and to shine a light on Jesus? Well, first, tongues. Paul is saying that there there seems to be this heavenly language that is mostly only to be used in private, and the only time that it should be used in public is with an interpreter present. That's not what was going on in Corinth. The entire church was trying to manifest and just speak different angelic languages all at the same time. You'd walk in, and it was just a bunch of unintelligible languages. And Paul's saying, "That's that's not what it's supposed to be. This type of tongue, this prophetic type of tongue is not necessarily helpful or done in love when other believers are around. Um, Remember again that Matt also said a few weeks ago that there are three different views to these miraculous gifts, right? When we say miraculous gifts, we talk about tongues and prophecy and healings and other things like that. And there are three different views of where those gifts are are still at in the world today. Um, him and I tend to fall into the open but cautious view, and I would even go as far as say that I am open but very cautious. I have seen this heavenly prayer language done once, prophetic language done once, and it, and it didn't seem to build anyone up. Even in a group of believers as it was being done, it just didn't really seem to build anyone up. But that's just me. I went to uh, a Bible college that fell into the cessationist camp, um, saying that all the miraculous gifts had ceased for this day and time. I would come home from school, and I would tell Andrea, I bet those professors think that I am wildly charismatic. I bet they think I am speaking in tongues and prophecy all the time when I leave this campus. Because I would argue with them on this topic more than any other topic that we talk about at Bible college. Constantly I was arguing with professors about this. I don't see that God has ceased to do anything. I will probably never say that God won't do anything. The things that I have been the most skeptical of when I hear stories of things happening that's the second, when I, when I start questioning, like, I just don't know if that could be real. God tends to just wreck me and rock my world and show me that he is bigger than I can imagine. I feel that saying that God will definitely not do something miraculous is like putting God in a box. And I serve an amazingly huge God that is completely beyond my understanding. I believe that the church should expect a miracle when a miracle is required. When it comes to the topic of tongues, though, this is a topic that really comes down to the idea of understandability and using our gifts in love. 
Paul is saying in verses 16 and 17, that when you gather as a body, you need to make sure that nobody is being left out. We want to make sure that our services are open and available to everyone walking in and that we are building each other up. If we are all speaking in different languages or even if one or two are speaking in a heavenly language, it may not be building up the whole body. You need to make sure that nobody is feeling isolated because they aren't part of what is going on in the service, right? I don't think there has been a single weekend since I have come to Stonebridge that new people have not walked in. Now these are, and they're probably just new to me. They may have been here in the past and are coming back or or there's someone that doesn't come as, as often as I'm here but I'm constantly meeting new people. And whether they're believers or not, we have to question, like, what what are they going to think and how are they going to interpret this idea of tongues? If we are all speaking in different languages, or even if one or two are speaking in a a heavenly language and, and we're doing it properly with an interpreter... I just question, would it be building up the whole body if people came and visited? Now, prophecies, on the other hand, can build up the whole body. That is what this passage says. Look back at verses 3 and 4. That's what it's saying. It says, you know, this is the greater gift. Pursue this. And just a reminder, um, we have defined prophecy as the God-given ability— to tell others something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. The God-given ability to tell others something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. This can be done in many ways. Right? It can be done through a sermon. It can be done through a conversation between believers. And it can be revealed to us. This prophetic word can be revealed to us in many different ways. It can be through dreams. It can be through thoughts that we have. It can be a word from the Bible. You know, as you're reading your Bible and you're like, oh, you know, Pastor Joey needs to hear this. That is a form of prophetic word. It is a spontaneous thought given from God. A a prophetic word given from God to be given to another person will almost always, I assume, I I know almost, that it will always be in a native tongue. God's not going to give you a prophetic word to give to me and you're going to come to me and say it in French because that wouldn't help me. God wants me to hear it. And therefore, it's going to be understandable and it'll be able to build up the entire church, right? Even if it's for just me, it's going to be something that spurs me on, that can build up the whole church, That is why Paul can say in verse 4 that the one who prophesies builds up the whole church. God bestows the spiritual gifts that he wants to reach a certain person in a certain place and in a certain time. That's how God works. That takes us into our final section. We need to ask, what is our witness to the community around us. How do these gifts work for the community around us? Starting at verse 20, it says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. 
In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. We can see Paul's true heart for evangelism here in this final section, especially those last two verses. If we are all speaking in tongues, even if we're doing it in the biblically ordained way, which would be one or two of us at a time with an interpreter, it can cause confusion and push people away from the church. Theologian Leon Morris, I think, said it best. He, he says, Paul imagines the, the whole church assembled with everyone speaking in tongues, which to some of the Corinthians would have been the complete fulfillment of their wildest dreams. Morris says that Paul then says, now there comes in some unbelievers, or other translations say inquirers. The result would be disastrous. The effect of a massive display of tongues on non-Christians will be to convince them that Christians are crazy. Morris goes on to say the effect of prophecy is different. Prophecy conveys a divine message and has a powerful effect. The effect of the prophetic word is to reveal to a person their state, their whole inner being is searched out, those things they fondly imagine to be hidden in their heart, those secret sins, they are found to be shown in the light of God's word. The result of prophecy is that a person comes to worship God, recognizing that God is present in the church. Prophecy leads someone to God. We serve a God of order, not of confusion. He desires for our services to have order so that an unbeliever or an inquirer can, can walk in and be convicted of the fact that they are not right with God that they desperately need the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They need the assurance that they can be forgiven of all of their sins, past, present, and future, that they can have new life in Christ Jesus right now. That's not just something that we look forward to. These are things that can happen right now. Forgiveness of sins, assurance of salvation, new life in Christ. When we talk about tongues and prophecy, it can seem weird, right? Just those very words, tongues, prophecy, they can turn us off and make us feel a little awkward, probably because of past experiences or stories that we have heard. But we also need to remember that the very fact that we gather here and sing praise to a God that none of us have seen can be just as weird to an unbelieving world. That we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that we all desire to have a deeper relationship with him, that we can cast all of our worries and anxieties at the feet of the cross, that, that is shocking to those who have not turned to him. 
many of us, some of us, may be skeptical of miraculous gifts. But the most incredible miracle that is performed is still in full effect today. The miracle that Jesus can transform a heart of stone into a heart of flesh is miraculous. That Jesus can redeem a sinner like you and me is the greatest miracle that has ever happened and is still happening every day across the world. Our mission as followers of Jesus is to help the world out there believe that Jesus is alive, that his word is alive, and that our God can use any miraculous way to draw them to him. Anything, anything that he chooses, he can use it to draw them in. Whether it's tongues, whether it's prophecy. But the first verse, though, pursue love. That is the most important thing. No matter what our gifts are, no matter how we're using them to reach this world, we need to pursue love first. If we are known for nothing else here at Stonebridge, let it be known that we are known for love. I don't know a lot of people who can say that they've become a follower of Jesus because someone spoke a tongue to them, but I know many people who are here today because they were shown the love of Jesus by a true follower. Pursue love and earnestly the desire the gifts of the Spirit. Let's pray.